Hey, welcome to Hot Takes. I'm your host, James Scott, here to analyze anything and everything interesting. Let's dig into today's topics. Let's go. James and Chris here. Hope James you guys are having a great day this Sunday, January 22nd, which is, this is when we're recording. Um, we are going to be jumping in and doing the third base list this week. Um, now, I, I've talked about this with Chris before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're, well, we're just going to launch in here. I talked about this with Chris before. This is one of the things that I've said many times throughout the years. And it's a controversial subject because when people talk about the most valuable players, you talk about a two-way catcher, a catcher who can hit and defend. Or, you know, a two-way shortstop, someone who can hit and defend it short, yep. you know? But what people commonly forget is what's the minimum requirements? What's easy enough to find? You know, if you're a corner outfielder, you need to hit. Easy to find guys who can hit enough and play corner outfield. You don't have to be a stud defensively. You just have to hit. That's the side of the game you have to produce on. Uh, so left field, right field, you just go with bats. First base, same thing bat first position dh obviously catcher short second these are defense first positions especially with the shift going away so i'm fine going you know defense you know speed in certain cases at shortstop at second in center and at catcher these are positions where defensively you need defense first okay however third base is not a crucial defensive position and it's not so offense first that you can't care about the defense. It is the one spot on the diamond where if you have a two-way guy, you can build the rest of the roster with the minimum. You can go get two guys who are bad defenders, but have a great defensive center fielder who, you know, maybe doesn't hit. So the guys in the corners will mash. The guy in center, you bat him ninth. He'll make up for their defensive and you know, you know, inefficiencies. Um, and I think the same thing you can do if you have a, a subpar uh, first baseman as far as range goes. You go plus plus defense at second and short because that's requirement there. You have to be a good defender there with the shift leaving. Same thing with catcher. There's a reason why the Astros and the Yankees have been perfectly fine with guys like. Martin Maldonado and Jose Trevino at catcher because at least while the shift is going away or, you know, at least uh, while automated strike zones, rather uh, at least, uh, you know, before automated strike zones, you know, are, are put into place. Pitch framing is an insanely valuable thing, but with automated strike zones, it's about to be a useless skill where it doesn't matter how good you are or how bad you are at it the automated strike zones are going to be most beneficial to arm first catchers because they can just keep the ball in front of them and use their arm. If it goes through the zone, it's not their responsibility to catch it. They can catch it. They can block it as long as it's in front of them. So arm first catchers are what's going to gain for that. But because of, you know, the way the defense is right now um, and, and probably moving forward, really, there's not a lot of guys who can hit a catcher. Catchers a defense first position. But like I said, at third base, it is equally as important to be a good defender as it is a good hitter. So ideally, you have someone who does both there. And you don't need that anywhere else if you're building a team. It's perfect. Look, 
I'd love to have a hitting catcher, hitting shortstop, hitting center fielder, you know, stuff like that. But is it a necessary thing to have the squat the, the spot adequately covered? Just go with defense. You know, base running maybe, you know, mix up the handedness a little bit. But third base is where it's at. So our third base list is actually a lot shorter uh, than, you know, people would suspect. You know, a lot of people think if if a position is that crucial, you know, and that valuable, then wouldn't there be a ton of talent at it? No. Just because it's a position that is super valuable. So many teams are trying to get that out of third base and they can't, you know? There's a reason why guys like Luis Arias were tried over at third, you know? These are he's not a middle of the order guy. But everyone's trying to get some offense out of third. And between the majors and the minors on the list, there are uh, a, a total of 17. Total of 17 third basemen. There are 13 on the list, on the top 100. And then there's four in the next grouping. Now, mind you, the top 100 is specifically for next season. So that just shows how many elite third basemen there are in the minors. There's four guys on the on the on the next portion of the list. And one of them is a big leaguer who hasn't hit yet. So there's next to nobody who is that two-way uh third baseman. Actually, now looking at it, two of them are already big leaguers who are going to try to figure it out next year. One way is going to get better, one guy is going to have to pull back what he used to do. Then you have a minor leaguer, and then you have a guy who's playing in Japan. But we'll work our way around to that. So, first, let's jump on to the guys who are on the top 100 players specifically for next year. Not the full list, majors and minors, just for next year, okay? Now, a lot of these names, everybody always knows. Like, you all already know this. Everybody knows Manny Machado. I don't really have to explain him. He's been the same guy the last like six, seven seasons. So everybody knows him. He's on the list. We can kind of move on. now. Nolan Arenado. Everybody knows him. He's been the same guy for roughly the same period. We don't have to talk about him. Everybody knows who he is. Rafael Devers, he just got an 11-year extension. I'm very curious about what his bat's going to do without the ship. I think he was the right guy to keep between him and Bogarts. I think the Red Sox are going to be able to build around that spot, that third base spot. I think they did really good at identifying who to put there, not just a guy who could play the position. He got a little bit better defensively, so he might actually be able to stay for a few more years there. Not just a guy who's a middle-of-the-order hitter for the spot, but he's also got a lefty there. And you do not find lefties at short or third. It's just not something that you usually see because guys at short and third have to throw with their right arm. So... Devers staying with Boston. That's big. A lot of interesting things going to go on with his development. So that's about it with him. Machado's a righty, you know, Arnado's a righty. So Devers, as young as he is, without the shift, I'm really curious about what his batting average is going to look like next year. Everybody knows Matt Chapman. He's roughly been the same guy for, I think, four or five years now. Uh, Elite defender. Adequate base runner, nothing impressive really there. Um, the guy walks, the guy hits for extreme amounts of power, uh, both in doubles and in home runs. About 20% above league average. 
he's been this guy for a while. Um, I hate facing him as a member of the Blue Jays, but he is definitely a great fit on that club. Um, and I expect him to still be that elite defender and good hitter for at least the next three, four years. Um, so moving forward, he's he's that guy too. Everybody knows Alex Bregman. I don't have to talk about the cheater. Uh, everybody knows. <laughs> Everybody knows I see you, Chris. I see you. I'm just like every time I hear it, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, yeah. <laughs> here he goes. I'm like, here, here we, we go. go. Here we go. <laughs> I'm like, yo. <laughs> so, uh, and you know, talking about Bregman, high probability that Correa ends up being moved to third because of Royce Lewis. If it's the if it's vice versa, Lewis ends up going to third, then cool or whatever. Lewis would show up on here. Royce Lewis. Um, but given Correa's leg issue, mm-hmm. um, the fact that, you know, he, he may not walk normal, you know, if, if, uh, some stuff goes wrong with that in the next few years, I think making it so he'd have to cover less ground and just can kind of use his arm and his height, putting him over at third. I think that makes a lot of sense. The guy's like six foot four, he's filled out. I mean, he's clearly a plus defensive shortstop, but. You got to find a way to keep him healthy. Um, they got him on a six-year deal. They're going to try everything that they could do to get him to last those six years. But from what we heard, he's got three, four years in the leg. So we'll see. I think third base is probably, if you're going to have any chance of keeping him going and getting the max value out of him, we put him there because he is a good defender. You wouldn't want to put him at DH. So, I mean – you know, a lot of people say shortstop to center, but I don't think you can with a body like his. He's not a range guy. He's an efficiency guy with a good arm. Great arm, actually. Um, all right. So everybody knows who he is, the cheater. Um, <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> uh, throwing your last shots in before you move on. It, it... Yeah. <laughs> hey, it's me. Come on. All right. I know. I know. <laughs> So uh, we got Austin Riley, who defensively is insanely problematic at third base. However, he does the fundamentals. Uh, visually, he'll make a few plays that are highlight reel. It's the lack of range and how long it takes him to get the ball out of his, out of his glove and on the way to first. Mm-hmm. Um, if he can find a way with you know footwork and getting used to the league and someone like him should be able to be very efficient with those types of things he's a very hard worker very much like a college player uh i mean you'll hear me me talk about that a lot that college players are both insanely intense in game you know electric but also insanely hard workers um and they're usually built riley's like that so i could see with reps him actually being you know decent at third base, I mean, he could do the Devers. Devers is now decent there. I could see Riley get to that point where the defense isn't exactly a, a major issue. He can play the spot. Um, but goodness gracious, that power bat. He's a 30-home run bat every year for at least the next three, four seasons. Unless something goes wrong. Um, I think that he is... Before the year, I thought he was a mistake-based hitter, and he proved me wrong. This is a guy who if he continues down the trajectory that he's going, I could see him have some absolutely insane 45, 55, maybe even 60% above league average 
offensive seasons. Um, so he's on there. Uh, you know, I'm sure people know him, but you know, if you don't, I mean, he, he was on the Braves team. The Braves won the World Series, but the Braves aren't flashy like say the Mets, the Yankees, Phillies, even. Um, they build a collective roster that works really well together. So it's sometimes hard to pick out, you know, you got Acuna who's really stands out. Everybody looks at him. And I think people kind of put Matt Olson and Austin Riley in that same mix where it's like, he's not Acuna, but he's one of the power bats behind him. Um, And I don't think that they really look as closely uh, at him as they should. Um, Certainly I was wrong about him before last year. Um, And now having, really had a chance to look into him stud. So he's on the list. Now we get into some interesting guys. So the first one, everybody knows Jose Ramirez. Um, it is worth mentioning that this last year, we saw the first year of decline out of him. That being said, he pulls the ball more than most people in baseball. And he's a switch hitter, which means mainly he's going to bat lefty. Of anyone who could see their batting average go through the roof, it's him and he's already an incredible base runner and I'd say he's an adequate defensive sh- uh, third baseman. However, in big moments, he is above average, not insane above average. Um, I've always been a massive fan of him. I can only imagine what it would be like if you put him in a ballpark that worked with his swing or gave him actual lineup protection, which he does not have with the guardians closest thing he has with regards to lineup protection is Josh Bell who I'm not really that big of a fan of and Josh Naylor who at least mashes righties um, and with the shift going away maybe there's a little bit of a batting average kick there but um, he would do much better on a different team he would do much better on a different team so Jose Ramirez one of my favorites it's going to be interesting what happens with him uh, being the type of hitter that he is with the shift gone Um, Then we have, similarly, another guy who in bigger moments can be an above-average defender but typically is adequate and is also a switch hitter, so mainly will bat lefty and could see major increases because the shift's going away is Eduardo Escobar for the New York Mets. Now, the Mets have Beatty and they have Alvarez, who I'm absolutely sure will eventually come up to the big leagues and force Escobar into a platoon with McNeil at second. That being said, until Beatty is ready, Beatty's probably going to begin the year in double A. If he begins the year in triple A, he's going to spend a lot of time in triple A. But I think he's probably going to begin the year in double A. And that'd be a smart thing to do. Escobar, he, I mean, Escobar mainly is better from the right side, you know, not the side he regularly bats from. If he can have the shift give him, you know, better numbers from his weaker side, possibly balance things out. You're talking about a guy who is going to be like 20% above league average from the right side and from the left side, who's going to be regularly healthy, is not going to kill you on defense and has a history. Cause I've watched this guy regularly. I'm, I live in Arizona. I've had the chance to play or to watch play <laughs> a lot of guys out here. Watch Starling Marte, Escobar. It's the reason why I recommended those guys to the Mets. So I got to not just, you know, I know their analytics, but I also got to watch them on a day to day basis. Escobar is an RBI machine. Three years in a row, I think maybe two and a half years, but at minimum the last two years he was with Arizona. 
automatic RBI machine. In big moments, you get doubles, knocking a couple of runs every time. Um, so him, without the shift, not only are you getting improved performance, uh, regular performance, but you're also talking about a guy who that performance is likely going to come in the form of RBIs. Um, so got to talk about that. Escobar, his, his stock is down. And I think people underestimate how much of a pull hitter he is and how much that's actually going to affect him next year. Certainly, he's going to try to rebound anyway, because last year was the worst year he's had in the last couple of years. So it's not just going to be, you know, the shift's going away and he has all these skills. It's He's also probably going to be hungry. He's probably going to want to prove himself, especially for a team like the Mets. Um, all right, so we have Escobar, Machado, Arenado, Ramirez, Devers, Chapman, Bregman, Correa, Riley. Okay, we got eight guys left. Gunnar Henderson's the first one. He could probably play shortstop, to be fair. Um, but given the presence of Jordan Westberg and Jorge Mateo, who's probably going to hold the spot uh, until you know Westberg comes up from AAA, which is likely where he's starting, given Gunnar Henderson's size, and the amount of strength he has in his frame, they're probably going to move him over to third. That's why he's showing up on here, because all indications show that he's their third baseman now. He is one of those rare guys on the left side of the infield, you know, short third, who's a left-handed hitter, and he's a power hitter, and he has a great eye at the plate, and he actually has elite sprint speed as well, so he's insanely fast. The risk with Gunnar Henderson is he does work to count. But if he's able to go to the big leagues, still work the count without striking out too much, at minimum not strike out too much versus righties as a lefty, you're looking at a middle-of-the-order threat who's a very good base runner. And as a lefty, at third base, you don't see that. Um, he may need about a year, year and a half of big league time, but he also has a high probability of just stepping in and, and being a stud immediately. He's, he's that type of guy. It's either short-term or long-term. He's a stud and long-term is three years. Short-term is this year. So he could win rookie of the year. He's definitely going to be in contention for that. Uh, we got Yandy Diaz for the Tampa Bay Rays. He has finally found a way to regularly get his slugging percentage to be over 400. That was my issue with him. I loved his on-base percentage. I loved his hit tool. But he would put so many balls on the ground. The slugging percentage was in no way workable. However, now it is. So, big fan of Yandy with that going for him. I don't know long-term if he's going to be effective without a swing change. But I also know that if Yandy Diaz, with how hard he hits the ball, does make a swing change, he's going to be one of the like best hitters in baseball. Like Shinsu Chu in Shinsu Chu's best seasons, that's the type of stuff that Yandy Diaz could put up with a swing change. I don't know if he's athletic enough to make that type of swing change. He's insanely strong, and he can, he can put the bat on the ball, and he walks. But as that type of athlete, changing the finer motions of his swing might be a little bit harder than it would be for a lot of other guys. 
but even a slight swing change for someone who's as strong as him and who has as good of an eye as him would pay dividends. So definitely have to keep him on here because, you know, I can only imagine what if you brought him to an even more hitter, you know, hitters park, right? What if you gave him lineup protection? Like what if he went to Boston being that type of righty hitter, all of a sudden getting like serious lineup protection, like Boston most years has with the green monster, he'd go off. So Yandy Diaz in the right situation is a true three hole header. In the wrong situation, he's either a guy who will bat second or a guy who will bat sixth. So I think a lot of people are kind of underrating him, especially with the amount of on-base percent. I'm not even that crazy of an on-base percentage guy, but with the rest of the skills that he has, certainly the fact that his on-base percentage is already as high as it is, he's impressive, which means with a swing change, imagine how high it would be at that point. You'd be insane. Absolutely nuts on base percentage with already workable power and more than workable batting average. So Yandy made it on here. Uh, Gio Urshela, former Yankee. Uh, Yankees, looking back, probably are regretting dealing him. He looks like a guy who's going to hit for average. He's going to at least hit around 20 home runs with a, a ton of doubles, around 37, 38 doubles on a year-to-year basis. He makes some spectacular defensive plays. I'm willing to bet that you give him more and more years in the big leagues to get stronger. Some of the plays he makes defensively, athletically, people can't do that. He makes freak show plays. So now, analytically speaking, he's slightly above average, maybe slightly below average as a defender. If you can make those plays that he can make from all those different angles that far away from first diving catches, et cetera, et cetera. It's not about your athleticism. It's about how you get that athleticism to play. So maybe it's where he sets up. So his range he's able to maximize or him playing more regularly in the big leagues, him knowing that he can hit, he gets to focus a little bit more on, you know, lower half strength which is something that would help him with his launch angle is, you know, is he, he, he keeps the ball on the ground a little too much too, just like Yandy. Um, Now it's not at Yandy's level at all. Yandy is a little extreme with putting balls on the ground. He's up there. Launch angle is a little scary. Urshela has the type of swing mechanics and launch angle where any sort of swing change that he needs to make at any point in time seems incredibly likely with how athletic and coordinated he is. So Urshela's on here. I think uh, I think a lot of people are underrating him. I think he's the type of guy who could win gold gloves and be a middle-of-the-order power hitter all in one. Um, but we'll see over the next year or so. Uh, I think the defense is going to come around real quick. Um, all right, so we got Urshela. Now... We're down to the last player who's a third baseman on the next year, next season, top 100. Not that, you know, not the majors, minors, rest of it, but the next season, top 100. Josh Donaldson. Yankee fans hate him. They absolutely hate him. I don't understand why they hate him. I know he was terrible in the playoffs, but 
what people commonly forget is, if not for the incident with Tim Anderson being a jerk, Donaldson probably wins the gold glove this year, not Ramon Arias. I mean, come on. You know? I don't, I don't think that that's one that can even really be debated. Ramon Arias is nothing close to uh, Donaldson, even last year specifically. Donaldson had one of his best defensive seasons last year. Um, the thing that I think people don't realize is Donaldson was league average last year, a little bit over league average with the bat. And that was the worst offensive year of his entire career. Analytically speaking, expected statistics in 2021, he had one of his like five best seasons, four best seasons. That was a year ago. So thinking that Donaldson is just going to completely fall off of a cliff because he had one down year, his first year with the Yankees, after clearly proving that the coordination and the batting eye are still there, um, you know, he did have a shoulder thing, which I'm sure played into it as well. Shoulder always saps power, but it wasn't a torn labrum. So it's not something where it's like, oh, two years. He's likely completely fine now and has been for maybe four or five months. So no real reason to think that he can't rebound with the power. Um, and then the other thing that I think I should remind Yankee fans of is he tied the lead for the entire on the entire team for the most walk-offs during the season. He had more walk-offs than anyone except for Aaron Judge. They both had four. So I understand you didn't like how he was in the playoffs, but the dude was clutch all season, defensively, offensively. He didn't kill you offensively even. It looked that way because of, you know, the, the, the offense was down across the league last year. But he was slightly above league average offensively. I can say a large portion of that was walks. So maybe he was about, what, outside of the walks, 10% below league average, but probably 10% above league average in big moments like we saw. You know, he's a guy who can pull it back on an at-bat-to-at-bat basis, uh, you know, based off of effort because he was that guy a year ago. So not regularly going to be that guy, you know, moving forward. I don't think he's going to be, uh, you know, 30% above league average, although it's not off the table. I think you're likely looking at someone who's going to be 20 to 25% above league average, which is about 15% better than he was this year. So not insane amounts of not, you know, I'm not fooling myself into thinking that he's going to go back to being who he was, but with his defense and his clutch 20% above league average, I'm completely okay with. In fact, I'd be fine if it was 18% above league average or 17, 15 is where we get a little bit too low. But even if he doesn't do that, Yankees have LeMahieu and they have Volpe. But right now, LeMahieu is not at third base. So Donaldson's here. He's on the list. Now, if we're talking about the guys who are not on the list, who are optimized by being put at third base, we're talking about two big leaguers who they're not going to make the the top 100 unless people on the top 100 get hurt and these two find a way to either advance things or turn the clock back in advancing things we have Cabrian Hayes who defensively 
is absurd at third, which rhymes. And that's cool. Uh, <laughs> 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 I don't know. It's like, uh, he's a good base runner. Probably going to steal about 20 bases a year, maybe 25 bases a year, you know, in his prime. He makes contact. He's got a good batting eye. He just needs to stay healthy and make a couple of adjustments. He was definitely rushed through the minors. So I'm not, you know, upset that he's not hitting at all at this point in time. It makes sense. But even if he finds a way to hit lefties at a well above average rate, but can't hit righties, you know, it's 10% below league average overall, but still good versus lefties. With his defense and his base running, clearly a member of this list because the defense is Matt Chapman, Nolan Arenado, Prime Machado level. Um, and, and his base running, like I said, is, is very good. Twenty, At least 20 stolen bases. Um, he just needs to find a way to drive the ball more. And I think even if it comes at a cost of, of contact, uh, I think, you know, you make that sacrifice. He's a special athlete. He's very young. So he has a chance of making these adjustments and he has a few years to figure that out as well. Now, as far as the old guy, the old man who's going to be trying to turn things back a couple of years uh, or in, in actually in his case, sustain the performance that he's been doing just one more year, at least is Evan Longoria. Last couple of seasons, Longoria has been hitting. He's been hitting better than he has in a long time. Now he's changed his approach in order to do that. And a lot of the hitting has, has come against lefties. But Longoria in big moments can still hit righties. He's a very good guy as far as getting RBIs go. He's uh, as healthy on a year-to-year basis as almost anyone in baseball. Although recently he's had a couple of issues. He had plantar fasciitis the other year and yet still managed to play most of a full season. So even if he has a, a real tough injury, he usually finds a way to still go out there every day. Very good bet for help. Doesn't make errors in big moments. He's well above average defensively. Uh, he can pull out that from back in the day. He was an insane defender back in the day. So big moments, he's going to hit versus lefties. He's going to hit. He's going to be healthy and he's going to hit in big moments. But given that he's aging out, there's also a significant percentage of probability that he either can't stay healthy or the offense declines to such a point that even if him, even if he's performing, performing in big moments, it doesn't matter because he's not even hitting lefties in all the other moments. He's not hitting anyone in all of the other moments. And he's a righty. So if that happens, I mean, like I said, he doesn't have hand in this advantage. He's a righty. So that's why he's in the honorable mention area of the list. Because if he does stay healthy and he does hit lefties, then he's clearly on the list. And like I said, you know, plantar fasciitis happened in more recent years. Um, so that is something to be worried about at his age. But he has historically been a great health bet. And in the plantar fasciitis year, like I said, he found a way to play a full year. So it is a concern and he needs to find a way to keep hitting lefties at minimum, but he's also joining a one through nine Arizona Diamondbacks lineup, which nobody's talking about. They don't have enough pitching. That's for sure. But the Diamondbacks have a one through nine lineup. So Longoria is actually going to get some lineup protection 
and he's staying in the division that he was in. So it's not like, oh, well, you know, I'm going to have to find a way to hit all these new pitchers that I haven't faced. No, same division, same guys, roughly. Most of the teams in baseball this year have actually stayed very similar to how they were last year. And uh, some of them, especially in that division, have gotten worse. So Longoria could take advantage of that. I mean, maybe he retires after next year. Um, I know Madison Bumgarner really wanted to play for the Diamondbacks so that he could stay in shape, get a ranch out here, get family out here. But if you're out here, it's also really easy to stay in baseball shape. You can play year-round out there. There's maybe three, four weeks out of the year where it gets a little too cold, but that's it. You know, uh, Every couple of years, there'll be a little bit of snow on the mountains up north. Um, and people don't think about that with regards to Arizona, but for uh, you know about a month and a half, it's it's like that. But that's it. So a lot of people come out to Arizona who are ball players to train in the off season. Imagine if you could train just all year; you could just exist out here. Um, so I think that that's the appeal with guys like Longoria and the guy and guys like uh, Madison Baumgartner. All right, the last two third basemen on the list. Now this is where it gets kind of fun because one is a guy in the minors. And one's a guy in Japan. So, Chris, which one should we do first? Miners or Japan? I want to do mm, Japan. I love hearing about Japan. So, in Japan, there are there's a collection of guys in Japan, a collection of players in Japan who have the bat to possibly be middle-of-the-order hitter in the U.S., However, what people always forget about is the difference in fastball velocity between the major leagues and Japan is massive. It's, it's absolutely, it's at least four, what was it, three? I think it's three miles an hour on average um, faster than it is in the big leagues. Um and there's there you know Yoshida came over from to, uh, to Boston this year and and uh, who was that other guy who came over? There's been a few guys who have come over in recent years. There've been quite a few. You you've been talking about it, yeah, for quite and, some time. And some of them have worked and some of them haven't. Like Shogo Akiyama didn't work at all, you know. Uh, Yoshi Tatsugo uh, didn't work at all. There, there there's very few guys who come over from Japan. And our actual middle of the orders, usually, you know, you'll get a guy like a leadoff type or something, but you never find a Matsui. But there have been plenty of reports about Yoshida in Japan, or uh, not Yoshida, um, mixing them all up. Yoshida is the one who came over, played for Boston. Murakami, he is a third baseman for, for uh, what team does he play for? Yeah, I'd, li- I'd like to... Report on him completely accurately. Let me pull him up. Basically, his swing looks like Juan Soto. Ah, here he is. Munataka Murakami. I I was going to call him uh, Masataka. No, it's Munataka Murakami. And I found out about this guy this winter, about two months ago, three months ago, because I was looking looking into guys who are over in Japan who are good enough to show up on this list. He is, I compare him to Juan Soto. He's young. Like Soto, he's the swing mechanics of Soto. He's the batting eye of Soto, and he has the type of swing mechanics and bat speed where coming to the U.S. he could adapt. 
he has the chance if he comes over to be the best middle of the order hitter from Asia since Shinsu Chu and before him Matsui. And he's a third baseman right now. Um, left lefty hitter, funny enough. Um, there are people who share my sentiment that he is just like Juan Soto, who have played over there. Um, now, do I know when he's going to be over to the U.S.? I do not. But he is a guy that is regarded across the board as one of the best hitters in the world. And I remember when Jose Abreu was playing for Cuba and people were calling him one of the best, if not the best hitters in the world. I looked into both of them. People are not wrong. I think that uh, if you have him come over to the U.S. Uh, sometime in the next couple of years, you're looking at a guy who could hit 40 homers. And you don't say that about guys who come over from Japan. Like Matsui was around 30, 28 on a year-to-year basis. Similar with, with uh, Shinsu Chu. But this guy, he could actually approach 40 which would make him the best power hitter in the history of any Japanese player coming over to the U.S. So Munataka Murakami uh, is kind of also a great baseball name. Now, the last one, the one that's in the minors, the one third baseman who could stay at the position, be a two-way player, and be a middle-of-the-order hitter coming up from the minors. Unfortunately, he's not staying at third he's going to come up this year he's going to play right field and i'm talking about jordan walker of the st louis cardinals who's a behemoth he's six five bordering six foot six he's got cleaner swing mechanics than most people his size he's a righty to be fair uh, his exit velocities are some of the most insane in the entire minors and in most of the majors too he'd be one of the hardest hitting players in the big leagues. And if he comes up this year, even in limited time, you're looking at a guy who's going to hit 20 homers. So stud, clear stud. If you're that big, you're going to hit, you know, in a normal season, 30 homers, 45 doubles, um, and be an adequate, if not plus third baseman, you're a stud. The only thing is they have Nolan Arenado. So similar to Nolan Gorman, who got moved over to second base. They're going to move Walker to right field. And uh, he's going to join that middle of the order uh, that's going to have Alec Burleson join the outfield. Maybe uh, Dylan Carlson gets a little bit better. Um, Tommy Edmond, without the shift, maybe he gets on base more because he is a pull hitter. Um, you still have Goldschmidt. You still have Arenado. And now you've added Wilson Contreras. So you add Jordan Walker to that mix and uh, – I'm absolutely sure I'm missing someone, too. Um, Cardinals are going to score a lot of runs. They're going to drive in a lot of runs. And that is the third base list. That is everybody. Let's go. Everybody. Yeah, let's go. Let's go. Every, everybody on the top 100 for next year and everybody on the honorable mentions. Eduardo Escobar, Manny Machado, Gio Urshela, Nolan Arenado, Jose Ramirez, Rafael Devers, Matt Chapman, Josh Donaldson, Gunnar Henderson. Great name. Yandy Diaz, Alex Bregman, Carlos Correa, Austin Riley, Jordan Walker, Evan Longoria, Cabrian Hayes, and Munitaka Murakami. Like one of the shortest positions of any of the ones that we've done. Yeah. But that just shows how, how important it is to have a two-way guy there. 
I'm really, really hoping that Donaldson's going to be that. I really think he can rewind it for a year. Yeah. Um, and if not him, then it'll be DJ, give, you know, getting an opportunity to rewind it to two years ago. And if neither of them can do it, Volpe. But Volpe is probably more of a shortstop or more of a second baseman than a third baseman, given his size. So Volpe didn't make it. DJ's won like four gold gloves at second base. So I don't have him here, even though he'd be a great defender at third. Um, that's why Donaldson got that spot. But that's everyone. That's the entire 17. Next time, we're going to be covering the other side of the infield. We're going to be doing first base, which has 16 players on the top 100 and a good 11 more on the honorable mention. So we'll see you there. And as always, let's let's go. go. Let's go. (laughs) Let's go. We'll see you next time.